Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All right, what is going on, people? You know that sound. It is the Unfiltered Band, which means another episode of Unfiltered is upon us. Episode number 60. The Sunday Carousel. We've got a lot to cover here on the show today. Happy to have you with us, and uh, thank you, Unfiltered Band. You can become part of the Unfiltered Revolution. It's very simple. Jump on board. You can get all your swag, of course, at the uh, Believe Shop. You can uh, be a part of things by joining me uh, on Twitter if you don't already do that. And you're listening on the podcast right now, get over at Casey Stern and uh, hit me up with any ideas, topics, whatever you got. Bring it to the table. Want to hear from you. If uh, you go there, go into the bio, you'll be able to subscribe and check out the YouTube channel and uh, be part of all the videos there. As I said, lots of good stuff coming up next week already uh, lined up. Uh, Buck Martinez, Jim Duquette, David Aldridge, uh, Jason Stark, uh, Howie Rose. I've got a lot of people that are uh, lined up uh, to hop on this thing and get on board the revolution next week. Also, a contest that I'm excited to tell you about, but I'm waiting until next week. I think you're really going to enjoy and a lot more things that are coming. You could follow it all and be a part of things and join just as you see below. If you're watching the YouTube channel at Casey Stern, join the Unfiltered Revolution. A lot to get to here today um, and obviously an important date in the calendar. And I want to hit that as well. So let, let's start with this. Uh, the NFL, you know, I'm a huge football fan. I always have been. And, you know, the NFL, it, it's weird because when you're a fan of a team that sucks, it's it's kind of hard to get into. Like you get really excited, but you know, then it it's very quick because now 17, but 16, 17 games right over the course of our lifetime. And very quickly in like a week or two, you can kind of check out for the season and wait for draft picks. It's the hard part about the NFL. It's not, you know, baseball, you kind of hang on to individual seasons and and the marks are kind of more important statistically. And you know, you get involved in watching prospects come up and you find like different ways to attach yourself to a team and and really get invigorated even if you know it's going nowhere nfl is kind of more difficult being a giant fan to do that but i am excited i do think they actually have a chance against the titans here today in week one so we'll see but uh happy nfl season to all the football fans who are out there i, I want to hit uh the ufc from last night uh, in a little bit i want to touch on uh, baseball uh, after 9-11 and get into that and, and a couple other important things that I want to touch on before we get done. But let's take a carousel around uh, the major leagues here and let's start with this. Uh, you know, I'm no genius. This is not rocket science to sit here and say that the Mets have played good enough this season that they'd already shown us a culture, even with the injuries to Marte and to Scherzer and all the issues they had. They haven't hit for a month that I've been saying. I mean, look, they, they proved this is not the, the typical Mets. That culture was changed. A large part of that is in the ownership and the way they've handled themselves the last couple of years, right, with the Coens. Large part of that, clearly Buck, uh, Buck Showalter. You think about, obviously, from not only Max, who gets a lot of credit, but all the way down to the Marcanas and all the, you know, Eduardo Escobar, the, the, the winning-type people that they put in the room, and that makes a difference. Expected them to step up. Thought it was funny how many Met fans were kind of shitting on Lindor for no reason. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, I don't know what you want this guy to do. Uh, if there ever was, and I've hated this over the course of my career, you get like all this proof, especially in big cities, that like all we care about is how much guys are getting paid. And it's kind of ridiculous how people are getting on Lindor after the year he's had. He's been brilliant for most of the season. Offensively, he's had huge hits time and time again. Defensively, he's been gold glove caliber. He's done that all year long. And yet you still got people after he hit into a double play two nights ago or sitting there on Twitter 
and you know, even media members that covered the team kind of freaking out about him not performing. He makes the comments about, hey, we've hit a wall. It happens in a long season. That's just being honest. He didn't ask you to go break through it. He said, we got to break through it. And guess what? Last night, he part of it broke through it. Three hits and a home run. Escobar, another three hits. The Mets able to put it on the Marlins. They're supposed to do that. Clearly, you don't win a medal for that, clearly. But what they do win is returning to first place because the Mariners were able to take down the Braves. Uh, the Braves are a great team. We know that. They have played, even with the Dodgers, like the best team in baseball since June 1st. They're the defending champs. Like Ric Flair said, be the man. you got to beat the man. And right now, to beat those men going to be difficult in the postseason. It's been difficult in the regular season. I think we get all that. do want to say this, though, about Seattle. We're all underrating and discounting Seattle, and I'm included in that. I think because they're so young that, you know, even though they've got the starting pitching that clearly when you look at the names like Castillo and the, and the Gilberts and, and, you know, the Kirby's of the world and Robbie Ray and the guys that they have, when you think about what they've done in the bullpen at the back end, when you think about J-Rod and Julio Rodriguez in the middle of it again yesterday, when you think about what they've been able to do in terms of get healthier in some ways as the year goes on, in terms of Hanniger, uh, the, the coaching staff has done a great job. They are, they are motivated. They're playing seemingly with house money. A lot of those things usually will equate to actually better postseasons than we expect because they're not feeling that kind of level of pressure that a lot of teams will. We cannot discount and underrate the Seattle Mariners and their chances here when we get into the playoffs where they're clearly going to go. It's also where the Jays are going to go. And for Toronto, I have said this before, and clearly having the Rangers at any point in your schedule, because they're a complete mess right now, just waiting for the end of the season, playing the string out. When you look at Toronto, they are absolutely in the list of dangerous teams. This is a very, very dangerous baseball team. Very. The Toronto Blue Jays are a team that has frontline starting pitching with Manoa and Gosman and Barrios, you know, when he's right. They've got the back end with Romano, who's been absolutely brilliant, right? Leading the league in saves. They've got guys that are names that have done it in postseasons, like the Springers. They've got guys who can certainly and have all the potential to be as good as anybody in the game of the Vlads. And now Bichette getting red hot at the right time. What, three doubles yesterday? We saw three home run game recently. I mean, this guy's been brilliant and has, you know, 24 years old. I, I don't know how he's getting any crap from anybody. You're allowed to have, and I've talked about this here on the pod, that give and take and that cat and mouse, but boy, uh, cat right now catching mouse in terms of what he's been able to do. Bichette red hot. The Jays have won three in a row. They're going to be dangerous in the postseason. These, these AL matchups, uh, you know, I, I keep saying this when you look ahead, how a team's going to beat the Astros in a seven game series. I'm not sure. I don't know whether or not you're going to be able to do that, but can a team like the Jays knock them off? Let's say perhaps in a five game series, they could. Could the Jays beat the Yankees in a seven-game series? I think they could do that, too. Toronto's going to be dangerous. They got the horses. And, you know, when we talk about, like, somebody turning it on to kind of shock the world in October, other years give us more of that than this year, especially in the National League, as I've talked about, when you've got the Dodgers, the Mets, and the Braves. Going to be difficult to believe, even though the Cardinals obviously have had that team of destiny thing that they've had going on the NL side. Let's get to the individual and the destiny that he's chasing in Albert Pujols. Albert Pujols now four home runs away. He's at 696 homers for his career. What an unbelievable first 10 years of his career he had. And then everybody kind of like forgot about him. I think... 
people waited in some ways. A lot of people seemingly that I talked to over the years, like with the steroid era and everything that was happening, like, oh, like it can't be real. And then never really went backwards and retroactively gave them credit for how real it was. I don't think people really took to heart the fact that this guy was playing every day with plantar fasciitis and how much that affected him during his time with the Angels. If you go to Albert Poulos' career with the Angels, one of the biggest problems, and you remember early on, they had that 98-win season, and they went home in three days to the Royals. I get that. Trout had one hit in 11 at-bats. C.J. Wilson, two-thirds of an inning, and you go home. But Albert Pujols was playing every day, telling Mike Sosha and company, hey, we're not, I'm not taking off on an, an injury that really the only thing you could do for an injury like that, an injury that usually NBA players have. I've talked to people who have had it. It's as painful as anything in the world. The only thing you could do really is rest it and stay up your feet. Albert wasn't going to do that. It hampered him, I think, for a long, a large portion of that Angels career. And then between that and the contract, and I've said it before, I'll say it again, who wouldn't have taken $50 million extra dollars, no offense to St. Louis, right, to do anything? What's on the paper that's not moral or religious, right? I don't think, you know, sitting in traffic on the five freeway is on that list, as bad as that may be. So, you know, for all the things that had happened, and then, you know, St. Louis kind of turned on him a little bit for saying, hey, you said you loved us, and there was all kinds of other stuff, and then he didn't perform. Then he got articles saying he's the worst guy player in the game, statistically, a couple of years ago. To have the bounce back, bet on himself, get out of there, go to the Dodgers, do what he did, play a role, and then come here, you know, now to St. Louis and return to finish his career, to be there for Yachty's last year, to be there for Wayno and Yachty who continue. Now they've tied the all-time mark. They'll break it here What on Tuesday. It's a remarkable thing. We're all rooting for Albert Pujols. Everyone should root for Albert Pujols. Is part of that, watching him now with this next home run, escaping and getting above A-Rod and moving his name lower on the list? I think it is for a lot of people, including me. But I think now four home runs away from 700, uh, 700 is pretty special stuff for Pujols. Speaking of home runs and special, Pujols is former teammate with the Angels. Mike Trout, six games in a row now with a homer. I mean, you know, look. I made a joke yesterday. I said, you know, there's got to be a crime. I said on Twitter for like what the angels are doing, holding trout hostage and Otani hostage. I didn't mean literally. I know nobody forced trout to sign that extension when he signed it. But I also want to remind people that Arnie Moreno and the angels had promised to actually, you know, pay for a team and to do the rest of the things they needed to not just put all the money into one room in a house, but build a beautiful championship house that trout and then Otani could live in. And they didn't do that because they, were, you know, apparently not getting the memo that you need to pitch when they couldn't get the last year on Cole and decided, hey, look, we'll give seven, eight years, but not nine, which is moronic anyway. They then, and I love Tony Two Bags, and of course, Rendon dealing with injury this year. They then decided to give all the pitching money that they should have spent to Anthony Rendon, who can't pitch. They spent it on Matt Harvey. They spent it on Julio Tehran. They spent it on Trevor Kale. $29 million between the three of them. When you could have spent $29 million, at least that you go guarantees, into one dude who could maybe give you somebody at the front end, which they haven't had before Otani, right? Since what, Jared Weaver? You know, the Angels, it, it's terrible that, that they are what they are. But man, watching Trout, I mean, we are, we are never going to give this guy enough credit. And by the way, this is not being talked about enough. How great it is to see him consistent and having the performance he's having after the back issue when... You know, having, you know, watched it as a fan with, with Don Mattingly, and I've always said this, he's one of my favorite players, even though I'm a Met guy, uh, covering it with David, with David Wright, 
these back injuries, you never know what's going to happen. Fingers are still crossed because they could obviously act up again. You never really know how that is. There's a lot of extra behind the scenes, physical therapy and all sorts of stuff to, to pay attention to ailments of that nature. But to see Mike Trout healthy enough to have this level of success is great to see. It's, it's fantastic. Six games in a row now with a homer. A lot of big games this afternoon, despite everybody watching football. So follow the baseball and the standings, and I'll be, uh, you know, talk to you periodically about that throughout the day. You can hit me up in DMs at all times. I, I love talking baseball. People have been doing that who watch the pod, and I'm glad others should. Feel free to do so. Uh, I, I want to talk uh, for a second here about last night. I don't care if you're a UFC fan or, or not. You're a fan, I'm sure, of people who, you know, they're able to put up. If they can at times, shut up. If you're going to talk the talk, you got to walk the walk. We know about all those sayings. I don't know that there's an athlete, let alone just a fighter, during the last 15 years that has done that any better than Nate Diaz has done. He's not a perfect fighter. He doesn't have a perfect record. He's not, you know, a a you know longtime UFC champion. You know, obviously the biggest fight and biggest win he had. And I remember where I was watching it was when he beat McGregor, but. The reason he was such a fan favorite and he ends up getting a win to close at least this chapter of his UFC career and, and maybe perhaps forever last night with a win over Tony Ferguson submitting him. Nate Diaz, you know, to me, I, I love this dude because as much as he will talk and as much as that, and that is certainly part of the promotion in the fight game. And if he is going into promoting now, he'll understand that as well as anyone because he certainly gets that aspect of the business. But Nate Diaz, I mean, this is a dude, man. Like, I, you know, I don't know what, he, you know, Chemayev is, is nasty. Obviously, we saw it yesterday with Kevin Holland. The, he, the UFC sets him up, basically. They set up Nate to be thrown around like a rag doll because of the way he had handled his contract. And they didn't like that he was vocal about not being happy about what Dana did. And I don't care what they say. They made him like a sacrificial lamb. And we're going to get him basically tossed around to help build up Chimaev to some championship fight, the next fight out. Right. And then make him a bigger name. And instead, you know, that guy kind of, you know, goofs off, you know, eats too many pound cakes or whatever the hell was happening. Cause I don't want to hear about the doctor told you to stop cutting weight. He told you to stop cutting weight because your weight cut was so horseshit that you weren't going to make it anyway. That's why I told you to stop cutting weight. But Nate Diaz for him to, you know, take a fight on a day's notice with Ferguson, make more money probably for doing it, accept the fight, uh, be able to be the fan favorite to carry a pay-per-view like that last night with no championship on the line in his last fight against a guy in Tony Ferguson who, look, I love, but clearly is washed up. And I thought looked even closer to needing retirement than Nate last night. It reminded me of the last times we saw Chuck Liddell fight. And, you know, Tony, not as old, I don't think, or seemingly maybe not as many fights, but he's had some wars and maybe too many of them. But good for Nate Diaz, closing things out the way that he did last night. Um, I want to close this out uh, this way. If you missed the pod that I put out the other day, I think it was 56, uh, go back and watch it on the YouTube channel. Subscribe if you don't already. Get get it on the podcast if that's how you're listening to this right now uh, on 920-101, which was... And I said this in the podcast, and I hesitate now to say the word again. I, I sometimes say out loud over the years, the greatest sporting event I've ever been to. But it's hard using the word great because of the backdrop of it and because of the fact that sports really, you know, were kind of the vehicle and the vessel for an unbelievable moment, but not what really that was about, right? It was about healing. It was about coming together. 
Got a lot of people at this time in the morning that I tape this who will be in church. You've got people who go to synagogues. You've got people who have been, and I've been in those environments. And they're amazing because you feel a unity and togetherness that's different. I've said this before. I said it in that podcast. I'll say it here. I have never felt more unity in a building with that many people. And I've been to a lot of sporting events. Um, you know, I don't care. You can give me, and I was like eight rows behind home plate waiting to go down on the field when David Freeze did David Freeze. I've been in some loud buildings before as a fan. i never seen anything like that. I've never been a part of anything like that. And there's nothing like that. I remember going into that stadium and there was fear. People were afraid. Like, is this, it wasn't like morally, is this the right thing to do? Players may have felt that fans didn't. We knew we kind of needed it. But there was actual fear. Forget not, a, you know, that saying there's not a dry eye in the house. I mean, you know, it was like being a part of a family you didn't even know. And I don't mean Met fans. It wasn't a Mets Braves thing. It wasn't even a baseball thing. It was a human being thing of a different level. Baseball's role in helping heal after 9-11. I didn't cover baseball then. Yet, it would be another three years before I did. But I'm proud, as should anybody be who loves the sport, of the sport and the people in it, for the role that they played all over the country and all over the world in the healing after that. Unbelievably special. And clearly, obviously, in a direct way, 92101 with the Mike Piazza home run. And I said this in the pod as well, but you can go listen to it in full throttle. There are highlights that give me chills. You all have them. They're all specific to each of us, right? I mentioned the other day I was watching, which I was, <laughs> the full game of the Sean Bates penalty shot goal. If you're an Islander fan, you know what I'm talking about. A hockey fan, you probably do. If you're not a hockey fan, you definitely don't. You're like, who's that? I actually went to college with him. We didn't know each other then, but, you know. BU high. Um, but when he scored that penalty shot goal, I can watch that highlight now and I get goosebumps. I get chills. I mentioned David freeze. Like, who, you know, look, Andy's catch, even though they lost that game, whatever. Right. There's nothing like that Piazza highlight. The MLB network had, and you can go look at it now. Cause it'll be, if you're listening to this in, in sort of real time on Sunday, they had it out this morning, go to their good Twitter. And go watch, it's a four-minute clip of the documentary they did on that game. And it'll make you cry in four minutes. It's just different. Greatest is tough. Best, your most important, maybe, is the best way to put it. Maybe most important might be the best way to put it. And that's where I want to close here, because the most important thing about that I think about on this day every year is I know people who lost loved ones in 9-11, in and I didn't. There are people who have lost, whether it's through COVID, through illnesses like cancer, through, you know, car accidents, surprising, you know, kind of life-changing, altering moments you didn't plan for that, that alter families. It, it, there's all sorts of different things that happen to all of us, right? And I've lost loved ones in my life that you just never, you never think you're going to lose. And you take for granted that you're never going to lose those people. 
and a lot of people have, and I'm sure you're this way too. We all know people who have taken for granted us and being part of our families who aren't now by choice. But that word choice is something that those people in those families didn't have. That word choice is some something that a lot of times a lot of us don't have. Choice isn't perfect. Choice isn't always some, you know, hallmark card. Whether it's family or work or friendship or parenting or being a son or a daughter or a cousin or whatever. Sister, brother. But choice is the luckiest thing we ever have. We all need to remember on days like this that even if the choices are hard, even if the choices aren't perfect, if you can make a choice to be with loved ones, to be compassionate and kind and loyal to people who love you and vice versa, it's the greatest gift we ever could have in our life is that choice to do that. Because you can't get that choice back. Episode 61 coming up tomorrow. Jim Duquette will join me. God bless to all of you. Enjoy your Sunday. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.